Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Movies. As always, I'm Johnny Mockney, and my guest today is the great Heath Sartorius. Returning to the podcast, Heath is a good friend of mine, huge cinephile, and uh, also a great actor, too. You can catch him starring in Admissions at Riverwalk Theater starting on September 14th. I've linked... uh, tickets in the description of this episode in case you're in the area and you'd like to see him he's a great actor i highly recommend uh checking it out and uh also heath is a big fan of wes anderson particularly his first feature-length film bottle rocket which i had not seen in a long time and had to revisit for this episode and it was a lot of fun and honestly i this is i Sometimes say this, um, sometimes I forget to, but definitely I recommend going and seeing the movie before you listen to this episode, or seeing it after you've had the entire thing broken apart and spoiled for you, but uh, it's a wonderful movie, and it's super short, it's like 90 minutes, so you have no excuse, so um, highly recommend the movie, and coming back and enjoying this wonderful episode with Heath Sartorius. Right. Speaking of unplanned uh, interviews, uh, when I was in high school, I did a. I wrote for the paper. I wrote for the uh, OHS Press. Yeah, really. Uh, and I did an interview with uh, Drew Seeley. You know who that is? That name sounds so familiar. He was kind of popular because he. Famously, he didn't want to talk about this, but in the first High School Musical movie, he does the singing voice for Zac Efron. Oh. And then he went on tour with the cast when it was like High School Musical Live. And then I think he's in another Cinderella story. He's like the lead male in that. And so, but he's mostly like a Broadway guy. Yeah, and okay. uh, he was touring with Jersey Boys at the time, and he was staying at the hotel that I was living in. This, yeah, yeah. sounds familiar. And so I interviewed him, and a lot of like girls who wrote for the paper were like, they were Drew Seeley fans because yeah. they remembered him from High School Musical days, and or just the Disney Channel yeah. wave in general. And That'd be that must be weird, uh, seeing. Uh, the guy who did the singing voice live yes. in High School Musical. Yeah. And they'd be like, he sounds more like Zac Efron than Zac Efron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the best part was like at the end of the interview, because uh, I was just recording the audio, we were sitting in the lobby and he get, he's like, all right, and he's very charming and mm-hmm. nice and personable the whole time, but very, you know, just sort of like, also, you know, he's an actor, so he knows how to conduct himself and how to come across that yeah. way. And then he stands up and he hits his head on a chandelier and just goes, Oh, fuck! And then, like, <laughs> and, like just walks away, like, muttering fuck to himself over yeah. and over again. <laughs> like, and uh, that was the last I ever saw him. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, that would have been great if that was on, on the mic at the end of the interview. Uh, yeah, if I could write that in the interview. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, like, like, literally, like, uh, you know, like, the, the end of your interview says, hits head on chandelier. Ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. Well, it was in the interview. It was in the recording, and I, I wish I still had it somewhere. Yeah. I don't know if I deleted it or if it was on my old phone yeah. or something. But yeah, it's just a piece of piece of Johnny Mock in the interviewing history yeah. now. Yeah, which you're now part of. Yeah, yeah. I I well, this is my second time. I'm I'm yes. now one of your recurring you're officially regular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did one last year. Maybe I can get a Matt Ottinger thing going on. Yeah, our yeah. good friend. Um, our good friend Matt Ottinger making his return to theater because he's he's in Rocky Horror. Yes, he is. Soon. I see him at rehearsal because my show is also at Riverwalk. Yeah. So it's like 
a hundred people show up for Rocky Horror, and I'm like, no, I'm in the small five person show. I <laughs> everyone. By. There's a hundred people in that cast. No, nah, well, there's two casts. Oh right, right. So yeah. there is, there's definitely more cast members than there normally is for a musical, but it's right. Rocky Horror, so they're gonna have like midnight showings and stuff, and That's everybody's so gonna come, and it's gonna be a big thing. Yeah. And um. Yeah. No, that'll be awesome. I'm glad and he's nobody's gonna see my show. <laughs> <laughs> All the old folks will come see yeah, your show. Yeah. All the young people. Well, your show's not gonna be on at midnight, you know? But no, no. But it's I mean it's but it's also just it doesn't have the name recognition. It's not a big musical oh, that's sure. Rocky Horror. It's yeah. like a it's a thought provoking nuanced play about <laughs> about white privilege that came out five years ago. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you made me fall asleep at thought provoking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so, uh, speaking of your play, that, yeah. that is sort of the reason you're on, because we're, we're doing some cross-promotion uh, today. Yeah. But uh, the movie you chose, uh, and I think this is the, always the biggest sign that somebody is like a real cinephile, is when like you hear two of their favorite movies and they're they're not really anything alike, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but like they are, both of your... I mean, the last time you were here, we talked about Midnight, Midnight Cowboy, Cowboy, which, which I purposely a... wanted to do. I came in with like a notepad, and yeah. I'm, like, I'm trying to analyze one of cinema's greatest things. Yeah, and this is much lower stakes. This, this is, and this time <laughs> I, well, I wanted to go with this is my comfort movie because normally, right. I mean, I've seen like over three thousand movies now, and the way you do that is by like I only ever watch a movie once. Yeah, and then I just want to, I want to see all the things I haven't seen, but. Uh, Bottle Rocket probably the one I've seen the most, which it, nine is probably a low number for like the movie somebody's seen the most. But I I've guess seen, so. But I've seen, seen a lot Bottle of Rocket like nine times because it's my comfort movie. Yeah, which is still pretentious to have like Wes Anderson's first film, be right? A comfort movie. My comfort movie is still like most people's comfort movie is like Step Brothers. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, but but it is it is a comfortable movie, and and it does yeah. it comes from that. You know, '90s indie boom yes. that happened, where you had Wes Anderson and PTA and Tarantino and Kevin Smith Kevin and Smith. all these uh, guys. Gus Van, uh, Will, uh, Will, um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, I put in that same camp. Yes, like, definitely. People yeah. writing a script and then they do the thing where they make a role that yeah. they can get the famous person to come in for two days and shoot, just yes. so they have a name attached. So, right, James Con. Right, yeah, oh yeah, James Con is definitely is for, <laughs> for Bottle Rocket. Yeah, for Bottle Rocket. You know, you're exactly right. And the funny thing about James Con is, I rewatched it this morning, uh, and I hadn't seen it in quite a few years. Yeah, and I always you you had seen Bottle Rocket before though. Yeah, yeah. I had forgotten that James Con was in the movie. Like, it's, it, he's kind of, I mean, that's. The point he's he, when he shows up, you get excited. He's the and. Yeah. He's the and role. Yeah, and he's also like they wait so long for him to show up that it is like a and they talk. About the him. movie wants you to go, oh, that's James Caan. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. Well, they show him in the picture. He's like, look at this picture. It's Mr. Henry. Go yeah, Mr. Henry. But you had to have like a good eye to even realize that's him James too. Caan, I think yeah. you know, because um, it wouldn't be my first assumption that this indie movie has an actor from The Godfather. Right. It, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but it is fascinating. I think when you look at that '90s boom, because we talked about Midnight Cowboy last time, which was the late '60s. Yes. And the the late 60s and then most of the 70s was a reaction to the end of the studio era. Right? Yeah. And then, um, and so you kind of had, that's where you got that boom of auteurs that came out of there. And then in the 80s, we kind of go into that ultra commercialism, ultra stylization. Yeah. You know? After New Hollywood died and Heaven's right. Gate cost the studios all the after money. After Heaven's Gate cost the studios yeah. all the money, after people died on the set of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. We, we went back to, you know, this. Uh, uh, a studio-esque system uh, and then 
And then in the 90s, there was that pendulum swing again. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating to watch all these guys in the 90s. You can clump a lot of their early movies together, like, where you, you can sense similar themes and yeah. ideas. Because they're all similar guys at similar points in their life. But then, if you look at all of their careers of Wes Anderson and Tarantino and Kevin yeah. Smith and all these guys they, afterwards, they, they, they sprung out they, completely different They directions. all had, like movies that you can tell like they made on a budget and yes. now they get to like make French Dispatch and Asteroids right. and get like literally <laughs> he, he started out with like this it, that's what which I think is part of the charm of yeah. Bottle Rocket of like knowing it was just these guys who like Refresh. this was their college thesis film yeah like they went to University of Texas together they made a short film and then showed it I actually have a picture I know horrible for podcasts but you'll love <laughs> but you'll love this picture uh, that my friend once shared me. This is a picture of uh, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson running out of James L. Brooks's office. Oh wow! After they got the meeting, where they were like, "Yeah, here's the money. We're we are confirming that we're going to give you money that you can turn your little college student film into uh, a studio film." Oh wow! And, and it's just like two kids just excited that oh, they're about man. to become famous. Like they're about yeah. to make a feature film for the first time. That's and so charming. Right? So, and I love th that is such a giddy I mean, and skipping. And I mean, so a lot of the things that define why I think Bottle Rocket is great and why I have like a very personal affection for movies like this yeah. is the that feeling of watching that scrappy kind of flabby first film of yeah. a, of a filmmaker, and it's, it's you know the it's least a young stylized Wes yes. Anderson, and know. well, he, and Wes is a young man full of piss and vinegar, just yeah. like something <laughs> to prove. And the movie itself, the plot, the characters, it's all something that can only come from a man in his twenties. You know, yeah, it's just that specific story of like. The, in a broader sense, it's a movie about people like guys just trying to find a purpose. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's. Um, I actually think that's one of the biggest things it has in common with Midnight Cowboy. I yeah. actually think is it's it's two friend, two unlikely male friends or whatever. Yeah. But like one, this blonde haired, blue eyed guy has this ambition to like most people. I don't know, want to do something that's. But like Midnight Cowboy, he's like, I got a big dream that I'm gonna become a prostitute. Yeah. Which is like, and then this one, I got a big dream that I'm going to be like a criminal on the run, like a heist guy. Yeah. Which are both like not good dreams to have. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they're both bad at it. Yeah. Like they have a friend that's helping them try to achieve this ridiculous dream. Yeah. And they're bad at it. And that's hilarious to me. And yes. so I guess that's like the the big overlapping Venn diagram between these two movies it's it's the it's the exist it's finding the humor in the existential sadness of just yeah. not knowing what your life should be and yeah. and yearning for something terrible like yeah. when, when your dreams and aspirations are something that nobody should want to be <laughs> at the same time yeah you know? and, and well it's just the naivete and like I think by like the fifth time so I've watched this movie nine times and a big reason I do mm -hmm. I've seen it so many times is normally uh, I only watch a movie once because I, you know, I want to see something new. But I show this movie to so many people. So I think I've shown this movie to like eight different people. All like oh, important cool. people in my life. Like you know you're getting into my inner circle when, I, when I'm like, hey, you need to watch Bottle Rocket. Yeah. So I think my mom, my friends Jesse, Michael, uh, Drew, Anna, Doak, Dakota, and Luca. Yeah, so it's, I think I've you know, shown it to like eight people. Well, and you're also... By showing people your favorite movie, I always say this, you're living vicariously through them because it's like you get to see it for the first time again. Yeah, yeah. And, well, for me, I'm, like, for me, this is one of my most quotable movies, too. I'm really? sure I will quote this movie at least 50 times. 
okay. as we go through the podcast. But it, it has got some of my most favorite quotes, which is funny because all the lines are kind of funny, but there's not too many like punch lines. Right. Yeah. No, no, that's entirely right. Like, it's one of those movies where I sit there and I'm kind of smiling, and then after five minutes I'll let out a laugh. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. it's just sort of the buildup of all the small funny things that have happened. Yeah. And then it'll culminate, maybe, at a certain point. Uh, and that's a great feeling. And and, it, and that sort of defines the the indie comedy. Like, there's this, there's this TikTok idea hmm. of what an indie movie is, yeah. and also what a Wes Anderson movie is. Yeah. And they're both very shallow ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I, and this movie, when I do, like, write down, like, what is the textbook of, like, the indie comedy, I would, like, put down something like Bottle Rocket, but I also think, like, it has to come from a certain place, and it's also, this idea is restricted in a certain point of time. The the indie movie from a first time director today is not going to be Bottle Rock. No, it can't be. It, it can't, can't be, be something that's standard. It's a horror movie for Shudder. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, a twenty four kind of possibly. Yeah, an A twenty four. If you're really lucky, if you know? you're lucky, <laughs> um, or something like, or you're. You know, a weird, uh, got, ra- a weird racist comic book fan, and like it's a, a Spider Man uh, allegory or something. Yeah, or, but yeah, yeah. But definitely. this was, yeah, the '90s did have that special kind of like just people chilling and talking. It, it's kind of a little bit the birth of mumblecore. Oh yeah, sure. Um, Which is surprising because nobody would associate Wes Anderson with mumblecore. With, with mumblecore, no. But well, it's funny because one of the things I love when I keep rewatching this movie and the lines that become my favorite is like there's so many, th- like. Most of the dialogue seems like throwaway lines, but those are all the best lines. Like, yeah. like the lines you didn't even pay attention to because it's not really part of the plot, yeah. are like the funniest. Or like there's just always, there's a lot of stuff happening in the background that's like a funny line that you don't yeah. even hear. You never catch the first time. There's like a part where they're arguing and while they're in the other room, they're, when they're arguing about the gun around the table, you're not paying attention if you're playing with the gun. I bought the gun. Say it again. Say what you said. I bought he, the gun. <laughs> he's out. And you're out too. And I'm not sure I'm in either. You know, like the, yeah. that's, and then they're arguing in the other room and the, you just hear, how does an asshole like Bob get such a nice kitchen? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. That's like, that. I was like, I only catch that on my third or fourth time, but I love those like little, just whatever lines. Also that he's out and you're out too. That line kind of comes back when he reflects on how he was fired by uh, yeah. his boss, by James Conn. I'm not sure I'm in it. Yeah. Where, where he's, he's that. like, all he said was you're out. And, and it's like, you kind of read that line differently the second time. Yeah. Like, that's impossible. That's trying him trying to be he like is, the boss. Well, yeah, it seems him. like he's. It seems like a kid who watched one too many heist movies growing up, and yeah. was like, "That's what I'm going to do when I grow up." And he's just there's so much naivete and dignant oh. in Owen Wilson's character. Yeah, and it's my favorite part of the movie. And I think the whole it's a mo- star making performance. Yes, for Owen Wilson yes. In this movie. Yeah. And I think I my I feel bad because he's a great actor, but my favorite performance of him is this is yeah. his first role. Um, well, and it helps. I mean, he co-wrote the movie. It's, yes, he he shaped the role around his best attributes. Yeah, know? yeah, and he didn't even want to act in it originally. Oh, really? Because he thought like, well, we're trying to like prove that we're filmmakers and we're making a movie off the ground. Like, shouldn't have like a real actor in it? And it's like, no, you are a real actor. And you're that's gonna, so you're... funny because that's yeah. Owen Wilson, the filmmaker, is not something people think of today. They think of him yeah. as an actor first. But yeah. yeah, I mean, he, he wrote was it. Lightning McQueen before they think of him as, yeah, <laughs> as a screenwriter. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, that is an interesting alternate history to think about where Owen Wilson just becomes a famous screenwriter. It's kind of like the opposite of my favorite movie, Rocky, which is 
Oh, um, yeah. Which is, he wrote it, and he's like, I'm going to act in it. And they're like, no, we have a bunch of other people that'll do the role. And he's like, no, I wrote it, and I'm going to act in it. Right, And Owen right. Wilson was like, that seems unprofessional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Owen Wilson, Sylvester Stallone, opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes. But that's with, you know, Owen Wilson wanting to be a filmmaker and Stallone wanting to be yeah. an actor. Yeah. And uh, uh, the funny thing is that Stallone got what he wanted, and Owen Wilson seems to have accepted at some point that he's an actor yeah yeah um by the way we were talking about the kind of the era of films that this came from and i was when i was watching the film with my friend doke yesterday Mm -hmm. he was he was comparing it to a lot of other texas movies oh yeah like the richard linklater richard it's kind of got that same kind of like slacker you could see yeah a similar vibe with bottle rocket um there was a couple others though like uh uh, David Byrne's True Stories. Oh yeah, yeah. Or any even like David Byrne's True Stories always struck me as like a pre Wes Anderson. Yeah, film yeah. Too. It, yeah. I think there's just it's there's just people existing in Texas with having just some out of pocket shit to say. Yeah, and some quirks. Yeah, some then. quirky shit. Yeah. And um, oh, there's another like good Texas example. Well, Coen Brothers like Raising Arizona is kind of that. Same yeah. Kinda. Well, yo, that for sure. And and the funny thing is like you watch something like True Stories and. That's a movie that is more Wes Anderson than Bottle Rocket is. Yeah, because it has it that very the, this you know incredibly choreographed way in which everyone exists yeah. in a highly artificial world. You know, and Bottle Rocket's pretty far from that. I'd say there's moments where you see the Wes Anderson, Anderson of the future, the, over the headshots of somebody grabbing. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Obviously, the famous scene where they're shooting the guns. Yeah, it's that like perfect lineup yep. of four guys. Yeah. Uh, and it hits that tone. Um, but there's moments in it that I kind of think, like, I th- I think, like, what Wes Anderson had in his head was probably different than what we got sometimes. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, there's moments, like, when in the very beginning, when Luke Wilson is about to leave. And it's really funny. Automatically a really funny opening scene. Yeah. Oh, he's so about good. to leave this mental hospital, which Owen Wilson does not realize is a voluntary yeah, thing. Yeah, he can just walk out the door. Right, so he, he thinks he has to break him out. And it cuts to Owen Wilson behind, like, a, sh- a, a, yeah, a shrub. Yeah, you know? He's got binoculars. And he, like, puts his head up and then quickly puts it back down. And there's, like, a cartoonish, like, swoosh sound oh, when he yeah, moves. Um, and it's, like, it is a more simple There's a few, shot. like, those cartoony sound effects of, like, somebody punching or hitting something. I'm right. Yeah. Which which is creates a funny juxtaposition yeah. against the kind of more naturalistic filming, like the more handheld yeah. shots and well, stuff. But that is like I watch that scene now. I'm like Wes Anderson, fifteen years later, would have filmed that much differently. But I can oh, see absolutely. in my head what that would look like today. A- you know? Absolutely, and uh, the stuff he's flashing a mirror in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. and it's I, I love those little moments of like. He's doing what he thinks he needs to to like be professional. There's got to be explosions, and and we got to prepare for the worst. And yeah. like, and it, he's doing what like he thinks somebody should do because he's seen it in a movie or something. But like, he's putting tape on his nose, yeah, and like giving everyone code names and like doing bird call sound effects. Yeah, like, it's all Ca-caw. redundant. It doesn't act. Ca-caw. He even does it when he's getting his ass kicked in the bar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's doing a And it's like it doesn't. It's it's it. Does not help the situation, but in his head, it's like this is how a professional does it. Yes, he's, and he's yeah. writing down. He's got a five-year plan, a, a fifty-year plan, or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. it's yeah, it's just. It, but I do think you know some of that style of Wes Anderson of like how he sets up shots. You start to be at the beginning of that. Yes, but I really think the reason the real substance I've got from the movie, the more I've watched Bottle Rocket is a grander theme that's kind of in all of Wes Anderson's work, okay. which is the basis of um, all the ch- children that try to act like adults 
and adults that act immaturely like children. Yeah. And a lot of the times, that looks the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I I never thought about that before, mm-hmm. but that's this is kind of present in all of his movies. Mm-hmm. And this one's per, it's about guys in their twenties who like are trying to be real adults in some and ways. And they're just I mean the it's it's Owen Wilson is super naive and and he's actually hurts his friend Anthony. I think the big thing at the end is that like he kind of grows a little and realizes how ridiculous he's being yeah. at the end when he's in in jail. With that beautiful understated way that yeah. Wes Anderson gets emotions across, you know. With slow motion? Yeah, with slow motion. <laughs> with with people just kind of having a mundane conversation but a lot coming out in yeah. that conversation, yeah. you know? Like I think and and that to this day is something that I think even with like Asteroid City, there's those moments where he really excels at that. Where uh, it, I always define it in the moment in the Royal Tenenbaums at the very end when uh, Ben Stiller just says to Gene Hackman, where he's just like, "It's been a really hard year, Dad." Yeah, and that hits so hard because yeah. nobody at any point has just talked about how they felt, you know. And it's and it is a very real life thing. In real life, we don't have monologues usually no, to describe he, how we're the, feeling. All the stuff that really comes out in a thing, we don't just say the message of what we're saying, but right. it's all those like. You just get a little piece of how somebody's feeling, and and that's why I love analyzing every single line in the script because oh, yeah. it's not saying what it's saying, and you're like, okay, there's a little bit more to that. Yes. Well, and did I, tell me if you felt this way while watching it. Um, I feel like every scene ends earlier than you think it's going to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, every time it it's like a just it, like it's a, just like in, in one thing in question is that. Uh, you pointed out the I bought the gun line. Yeah. It cuts like right after that line. And you're, or at least to one of them leaving. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's the scene, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, and, but also it keeps you on your toes. Right. I think that's what keeps a movie like this for it being such kind of a lax hangout movie. It never feels boring. Yeah. That, you know? Yeah. And it's, and I think part of that is why, you know, you, you hear a line in there or, or you're like, oh, I thought that scene was going to be more about this thing. And then it's kind of like, well, I I guess if I start thinking about the scene and just kind of what happened really quickly, I guess I got the information I needed to from it. Yeah. Even though they never got to the point. Yeah. There's a lot of you kind of have to do in your head what happened between the scenes. Right. And I th- I think it makes it engaging because it keeps you figuring out what the what's happening in the film. And it also trims the fat. It, it really, does. Like it, does. it takes out. You know, I'm thinking about. That's something that a lot of like first time filmmakers struggle with is like what do you really need to show? Yeah. You know? Do you do you need to show your character driving from one location to the other? Yeah. Can you not just see him there and then yeah, understand exactly. that he got there? I, you know? I heard a great theory that I would love to see applied somehow. But it was like, you know, you always hear these stories of like, oh yeah, the original cut of the movie was four hours long and we thought, what do we have to cut? Mm. And I saw a great thing where it was like, go film the movie and um it was instead of like putting it like making a cut of the movie that you see in your head and then having to try and cut out parts. Oh, I guess we'll have to make that a deleted scene. Yeah, I forget which filmmaker said this, but they were like, "You should go. You should start with the shortest cut possible of the movie." Mm-hmm. As in, the movie does not make any sense if you leave out these. Like, start with the the bare skeleton of what you would need for it to be a film. Yeah. And and have it be like a 30-minute cut of the film. Yeah. And then start adding in all the stuff that you think helps the movie. Oh, that's, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I think that's a better way. Because I think especially when it's your first feature-length film, it's so easy to just get married to everything you shot. You yeah, know? it's your baby and you get a... 
Yeah. Um, and this, I mean, this movie is, it's 92 minutes. It's like, is it really? Yeah. yeah. It's so short. It's so perfect, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, uh, I wanted to first, um, before we talk about the movie itself more, I want to ask you when the first time is that you saw this movie. So I had, I had loved Wes Anderson. Um, and I, he's one of my favorite directors. Mm. Um, and I think the first one I saw was Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. I have this theory that everybody has like a special place for their first Wes Anderson movie, mm-hmm. just because there it's now some break. A lot of people still like Grand Budapest and Royal Ten Bombs more, but I remember like thinking for a while like everybody's favorite Wes Anderson movie is the first one they see, yeah, because it's just like nothing they've ever seen with that kind of style and that, right? And 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 they're like, what is this? Like it's kind of magical, yeah. And then you see all of them, and you're like, it's it's his thing. Um, Being able to dislike a Wes Anderson movie is a luxury because it means you've seen all of his movies and you've seen how great he can be. Yeah, yeah. And then exactly. you're only judging them in comparison to each other. Asteroid City is my least favorite. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I don't. I've never hated a Wes Anderson movie. Right. That was just the most. But yeah. I, that is funny that I'm like here to talk about like, a little bottle rocket his first one so much and I don't care about Astro. <laughs> but um, my favorite, I think the be- I think the the two that I would put above Bottle Rock in my like that are on my rankings would be Fantastic Mr. Fox because it was my first one I saw and there's like a nostalgic factor with it. Mm-hmm. I saw it in theaters when I was in ninth grade, and then uh, Royal Tenenbaums I think is his best made. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree. I think Royal Tenenbaums yeah. is my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh. But so I, I, I think I didn't see another Wes Anderson movie until I saw Moonrise Kingdom in theaters as well, and I was like, "This is the guy who made Fantastic Mr. Fox." That makes expense why it's so awesome. Mm. And so like around the time of, and then so that was like senior year of high school. So yeah, senior year of high school is when I just decided I was like, I had seen like two Wes Anderson movies, and I was like, I need to track down and watch every single other one now. Yeah. And so it was like in one week, I just watched his whole filmography wow. and so I've seen everything he's ever directed and I was like and so I just fell in love and I think Bottle Rocket was one of the last ones I watched of that and at the time it wasn't like my favorite of mm. them I was like this is a charming one this is clearly like the low budget one before he had the chance to do stuff like Rushmore right um and 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 uh Royal Tenenbaums and stuff but as uh I think I just watched it again one time or I I bought it on DVD from Video to Go, oh, and I yeah. had a really, really rough day uh, when I was like twenty-one, and and I was just with my perfect friend. time, and I was just like, I was like, I, I like my friends were like, hey, you, you're having a rough day, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I have this movie Bottle Rocket I own. Do you guys want to watch it? Okay. And like, they all laughed at the same parts. Like, they all found it equally charming as me. And that's when I realized I just love showing this movie to people. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it's a good gauge of how much I like the person, I guess. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you, no, if I, I show you Bottle Rock and you don't like it, you're just like, nah, you're not one of my people. I don't know. I don't know. But this, it would, is, this is your deal breaker movie. A little. It yeah. might be. It yeah. might be. Because there's movies I love that it's like, I get why other people would love it, you know? You don't need to love I Am a Fugitive. I would love it if you love <laughs> I Am a Fugitive from a chain gang from 1932. But I get right. that that's a big ass. But Bottle Rock, and I'm like... Can't even see the charm. Like, yeah, yeah. You can't even like smile a little bit. Like, um, and uh, I, I do want to point out like part of the reason I think this is such so definitively a movie about that has to be from somebody at that point in their life. Which I don't know how old Wes Anderson was. I assume he was probably in his early twenties. Well, I mean, uh, it's 
the the because it started as a short film mm-hmm. and it was like his college thesis film. Yeah. So like the i at least the idea for a movie like this came from a college student. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I uh, I think that it, it just it, it reeks of that because it's like I uh, you know you have Owen Wilson who has latched onto a bad father figure, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And it, who he just needs guidance, you know, and he's gotten the wrong guidance, and he's trying to take along his surrogate brother character, you know, who's yeah. uh, uh, Anthony, who's played by Luke Wilson. Um, and Luke Wilson is like, I just, like, I just love this maid that I met. Like, he, he just wants to take his life oh, easy, yeah. you know? And it's like, he just, like... Is trying to he's discovering happiness along the way, and Owen Wilson is ignoring all of that because he's assuming happiness is going to come at the end of this big oh, yeah. score. I mean, I I certainly remember those kind of feelings from when I was young. But it's one of those things I don't think I could write that anymore because I don't understand how it is to be that awkward or that right. Um, both both Owen Wilson in terms of like he he's career driven and very he's very ambitious and wants mm-hmm. to like. We're, we got to pull off the biggest thing ever. And and for the record, I'm not surprised this was a film school thesis because there's a hundred versions of Owen Wilson's character in film school. There's a yeah. hundred of those guys going like so ambitious oh, yeah. like, with with so many delusions. Yeah. But about like, oh, I'm going to make this movie. I'm yeah. going to make the next, you know, yeah. and it's, Kane. I mean, well, it's, you know, you get built up throughout your whole childhood and being like, you're going to become an adult someday and take on the world and dream big and all this stuff. And, then you yeah. go, and so it's right at the age that you're like, the most anxiety you have about adulthood, I think, is like between eighteen and twenty-five. Yeah, and you're like, I'm running out of time. I need to become like the greatest person ever at everything. Right. And then I don't know. At this point in my life, when I'm almost thirty, I'm just like, my life's gonna happen. I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna work on that. I'm gonna do what it is. It's because you're originally just pushed by that fear of like, I got to get out of this lake before it freezes. Yes. You know? Yes. Exactly. And then yeah, eventually you, maybe you hit thirty and you're like, oh, the lake's not freezing. Yeah. yeah. Like. But, um, no, that is a great existential fear that the movie mm-hmm. taps into. And, and the same way that he meets, like, a girl. Like, if I, if I had that same kind of interaction, I was like, oh, yeah, she's pr- we both thought the other one was pretty. I thought she was pretty, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to put... That's just me, like, projecting, um, you know, puppy dog eyes. Just uh, proje- projecting, um, not, you know, it's not love, but it's... What's the word I'm looking for? Infatuation. Infatuation. Yeah, thank yeah. You. Is is you know it's clearly just infatuation, but because it's a guy who's at this young, awkward state, he's like, wow, this is like true love. Like right. he's like, this is faded. It can't be just a coincidence. Yeah. He's a, a girl. He just happens to run into a girl, and they <laughs> they have a they have this beautiful love together, and it's like it's a, no, it's just a girl that you just met. Right. It's kind of cute that it like works out for them, but it is very unreal. Yeah. And, and, and I think the movie's at least aware of how like well, it is particularly in, in her reaction when he wants her to come with him. She's yeah. just like, no, I have a good job here. I, yeah. You know? She's like, you're just paper, and you're just trash in the wind. You yeah. It's it it sounds better. It sounds doesn't sound that bad in Spanish. That's a great <laughs> that that scene is such a great testament to just how to make what could be a trite scene yeah. so much more interesting and entertaining yeah. by having the the young guy who is translating for the two of them and the way that especially and this happens a couple times it culminates times. in the funniest mo- one right. of the funniest moments it yeah. does yeah but it starts off early with them like talking out by the pool and then it's gotta be and then it's like he's promised the guy like it's alright it's only gonna be like three minutes and then it cuts to them in the kitchen and he's yeah, like, he, washing it the, cuts back yeah. it cuts back because you realize the conversation has to take longer so they had 
Yes. And it's just one of those, yeah, I, I, the little brilliant, subtle thing that you can figure out yeah. about the movie having, there's no, there doesn't have to be a line of him being like, you guys said this would be three minutes. Can we get right. back? I have other work to do. We can understand. It just cuts that. to him translating for them while doing his job. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there's another moment kind of similar to that when um, uh, Luke Wilson and uh, Owen Wilson are arguing outside of the car and their buddy uh, is in the car, Robert Musgraves. Yeah. Character. Yeah. Uh, I know exactly and, what you're going to say. And he, he starts by saying like, He's like, hey guys, if it's okay, I don't remember the exact line, but he's like, if it's okay if I interrupt, and then it cuts to them in the car with him talking as if he's still, as if it's the next thing he's saying, Yeah. but the implication is like, he's just been talking for a while now, and and Luke Wilson's just not taking any of it in. Yeah, but it is one of those great, it's like one sentence, but clearly time went between, and it's one of those little passes we give movies for like, or like when a car drives away and you can still hear the characters talking as if... They're right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. But 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 yeah, that that moment does, and it, it is kind of this nice little cutting, you know. And that, that I think that's also part of the charm of Wes Anderson movies is that they're not trying to pretend like they're not a movie. Oh no, not at all. Yeah, and that that separates this from Mumblecore, particularly. Yes, right. Yes, like, exactly. You can compare this like what, an early Duplass Brothers film or, or Noah Baumbach. You know, right. Like, Those yeah. movies want to convince you this is real life. Uh, yeah, this I, is just how people act. And it's, right. And was no, I was like, no, this is not how people act at all. That's right. That's why it's funny. But it's it, it is rooted in real human emotion. Yeah, yes, yes, that's all that matters. You know, it's like there's a there's a weird fetishization of realism mm-hmm. uh, among a lot of people that I think aren't usually movie people, but they're like people who they try to have a passing idea of like what makes a movie good or bad, and the only thing they go to is realism, and it's like realism is not that a metric of quality. Studio, yeah, I think it's overrated. Oh yeah, well, I think we talked about this. We're last both time big too. fans of uh, expressionism. Yeah, in, in acting particularly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? I um one of my fa- there's a great line Kirk Douglas had on some interview because he was kind of like the criticisms of Marlon Brando. Yeah, and I agree with this so wholeheartedly. It it leads up to Jared Leto and. And there's so many other actors in there that I can mention. But there was, like, the old Lawrence Olivier to Dustin Hoffman line of uh, have you tried acting or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, there, but there's a great thing with an interview of Kirk Douglas where it seemed like he was criticizing Marlon Brando. He's like, are you saying Marlon Brando's not a great actor? And he said, no, Marlon Brando's a great actor, but he encouraged a bad, like, habit for actors. Right. But that, oh, it's got, I gotta be real and I gotta live and do all this shit. Yeah. And it's like... No, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. The method. I the hate. Method. I hate the term method acting. Yeah. Because especially because well, I try and pretend like I really am the person, and I'm like, no, that there's a word for that. It's called acting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what. Made, that's a good actor is somebody who doesn't have to do that most yeah. of the time. Like. Uh, or like when Leonardo DiCaprio like ate real raw meat so he could throw up on the Revenant and yeah. he got his Oscar. I was like, I would do that. I can throw up. Yeah. <laughs> if you gave me I raw will, meat. The I'm... most I've done is I shot a short film that's going to hopefully come out soon. And I have to like, in it, I had to hit my head on a steering wheel and then blood starts coming out of my head. Oh. And like, it's a blood pack. Obviously, I didn't. But... You know, I, that would be too far, I think, if I was like, I need to make myself bleed. Yeah, yeah. But I did think... Uh, I should I should hit my head. I I can't be like boom boom and then a blood pack happens. Yeah. So I hit my head and I had to do five takes of it. Mm. So and it's a, a one it's a one long take where I had blood which is soap based and the soap would get in my eye. It was horrible filming it. Mm. I was very happy with the turnout, but after that many times of soap getting in my eye and banging my head on the 
thing. I ended up giving myself a concussion from banging my head on a steering wheel. Jeez, wow. Yeah. yeah, so that's as far as I'll go Good dedication. with method. I won't go. You see, if I was an empathetic <coughs> director, I'd be like, let's just film it in reverse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be my no. first thought. Oh, it was way too long of a scene, and there's lines in there. Oh, I, and okay. It'll hopefully be a cool... Yeah. Take. yeah, yeah, hopefully. From what I've been told, it's a good shot. Hopefully it's worth the concussion. Yeah. <laughs> it was worth it. I had never had one. Yeah. Well, the director is somebody who used to do, like, pro wrestling stuff. Oh, And, yeah. and like, we talked afterwards, <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I don't think about you getting a concussion. He's like, because to me, that's, like, nothing now. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's barely a stunt. <laughs> um, so, I... Watching the movie again, I... The, a lot of the things that just stick out to me, like, because now, now at this point in my life, I watch movies like this, especially when it's like a young filmmaker's like first movie. You look for just like where are they showing off, you know? Yeah. And one thing that sticks out to me is like when he is willing to have like you always look at a long take, for example. Yeah. Uh, and the the final heist has a lot of great moments like yeah, that. Yeah, it, like, it does. Like the frenzy is great. It's so hilarious. Like mm. I was laughing out loud so many times the way that the final heist is just completely falling apart in every single oh, it's way. it's so great. And, uh, but little bits like the guys getting on the elevator and we follow them up at the elevator yes. Owen Wilson runs up the stairs, the stairs and meets him on the next and, and yeah. his whole thing is I'm gonna clear the stairs! Yeah. You know? And it's it's fun. Like, it's not just a one take to show off. It's funny. The the humor hits particularly because, because you realize they way. all could have just taken the stairs and it would have taken the same amount of time. Yeah, or the elevator. Yeah, you exactly. It was, Either way, they didn't need to split it's, up. But It's just, that that's, that's one of the big things about their stupidity in their heists is it goes to show, like, how redundant everything is. Yes. And yeah. how, how much they're doing things that aren't actually like... Like, you watch it and you go, okay, I don't think I could be a heist criminal person, mm-hmm. but I know I could do better than these guys by just having common sense. Right, right. Well, and that begs the question, like, how do you... Because I assume to an extent you're able to empathize with these characters, right? Yeah, because they have ambition. Right, yeah. We relate to ambition. So it's like, how do you... And I think I have my own ideas of this, but... I feel like the best movies are the ones that allow you to empathize and also laugh at the characters. Yes. yes. And what do you think is the secret to walking that line? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I do think there are there are inherent traits that are just likable in a character. Because yeah. Dignan, if you look at him on paper, is just like an idiot. Yeah, but but he's he's optimistic. They they actually say it at one thing. Anthony says it about him, and Mr. Henry says it about him. Yeah, um, that he's that he's like. But he says he, he. There's a line where it's like, "Say what you will about Dig." It's when he's writing to his sister Grace. Yes, he says, "Say what you will about Dignan," but he like he always gives people the benefit of the doubt. He always is optimistic. He he he's not like cynical. And, or putting people down, he always thinks like, no, there's a way we can do this, man. Yeah. And and just that energy in general is very infectious, and it's hard to hate any character who's like goal driven. Yeah. Um. But he's laughable because his goals are laughable, and the way he he executes things poorly, but he has a good spirit about yes. the world. Yeah. If you if he if he had a more noble cause, you wouldn't even want to laugh him at him at all that much because you'd just be like, I hope things work out for this guy in right. general. Right. No, you're exactly right because you do just like him. And, yeah. And, and Anybody uh, who robs a library and then the first thing they do with the money is buy fireworks. And right. they, like they're on the run and he's like trying to get a truck to do the honk thing. Like it's yeah. just – you just see like – what a little kid would do if he was given a bunch and, of money. And I love like when he's uh, robbing the bookstore and yeah. he's pointing the gun at the guy and the guy's like, uh, 
you know, at first he's trying to talk tough, and he yeah. calls him, he calls no. the guy like an idiot, and the guy's like, "Don't call me an idiot, you punk." Well, and then he's he gets very polite. He's I'm like, sorry, "Do you right, have any sir? bigger bags for like atlases, sir?" Sir, that's what yeah, yeah. Um, and that's so sincere, and yeah, you know. And there's another great tiny tiny moment in that that you just like why did they put that in but then it makes you think yeah. it's like Anthony's the one who's trying to be the more responsible one because Anthony kind of is a protagonist but he almost the movie starts with his conclusion is is a, di- a conclusion of a different story is like he got healthier he got better he had this whole thing happen to him where he had exhaustion in the desert or he, he got exhausted with his life so he checked himself into a mental institution yeah and he like thanks the doctor for helping him like feel a lot better before going off and dealing with his friend Dignan again. Mm. Um, but he's clearly like trying to get his life back on track. And while they're robbing the library and he's in there pointing the gun, trying to get the little bags of all the different single bills. And yeah. they, they run out with all these tiny bags. But one of the things he does is he he takes a book from the library called Gobs, Jobs in Government 1995. Yes. <laughs> which just goes to show that he's like thinking of like a much more practical person right, right. about life. By the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is another thing. It's like, oh, you write the thing in your screenplay where the characters pull off a silly little job at a place where you wouldn't often rob, which is yeah. a library. It's kind of like and, Dog Day Afternoon in that way. Right, right. Yeah. But then they set it up. That's a perfect setup for this one character to just kind of get a little lost in a book. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that informs us about the character, too. And that's great. And and the, a moment you're talking, like, that I think about when you talk about how... Owen Wilson's character Dignan, Dignan is not what a great name by the way. It's a great name, yeah. <laughs> the the way that he's not you know cynical or anything, and he's optimistic is like after he gets beat up in the bar, and they're just kind of caring for him, like he's laying down and he's injured. Th- that's the scene where a lesser screenplay would have the like, oh, you abandoned me, man. Like yeah. you know, he'd get very defensive. He would go into this defense mechanism of blaming it on. Um, Anthony, but he never has that moment really. Like yeah. he shows resistance towards Anthony and Anthony not wanting to really be a robber. But like in that moment, he's just kind of sad. He's just like, yeah, it's you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like he just well, feels bad that and, that happened. And you know, when Anthony starts to get his life back on track, you when you know the big fight moment they have where he cuts him with a screwdriver and walks off and says, "That is not okay. You do not give five hundred dollars to the to yeah. the housemaid as a tip. Her name is Inez. My name's Dignan, man. So what?" But <laughs> yeah. he, um, and then he comes back to him and he apologizes and he's like, oh, "I said some things out there I wish I didn't say." And so you know he like takes he apologizes and like you see the way that Anthony keeps going back to him. Because he, he is just kind of like an innocent little puppy dog. Yeah. That like, he's like, do you want to do the heist? Do you meet Mr. Henry? And he's like, I don't think I'm in on the job, man. I got a good thing going. I'm going to think about like practically. Yeah. And then the uh, Bob's uh, shitty brother, future man or whatever. He drives up he and drives make, up. makes he, fun of his jumpsuit. You jump look suit. like a little banana. Lawn Wranglers. <laughs> and, and, and he, he just he's, gets very self-conscious. Yeah, he's like down on himself. He's like, it was landscaping. It wasn't just mowing. And then, yeah. And, 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 and then that's when he goes, I'm going to join the team and I want one of those cool ass jumpsuits. You like the jumpsuit, man? Like, yeah. It's so cute. It's so, yeah, it's just so like, I, I hate to use this word, but it's like precious, you know. Yeah. Like the moment that like Luke Wilson knows that's just something he needs to say to affirm his friend. Yeah, and, and, that does and that's so what much makes their him. friendship beautiful. And I think the the greatest moment of growth in the movie, though, that real climactic thing for me, is is Anthony keeps trying to get his life back on track, mm-hmm. but he keeps sticking up for his friend J- Dignan, and it it kind of he becomes self defeating in his own life. Yeah. And. And that moment where they need to go get Applejack, who got shot, to get the keys and stuff. 
they they need to escape, and at that moment they realize the cops are gonna come and they're gonna get caught, and they're like everybody clear out of the way, and he goes, all right, you you run away. He's like, no, I'm in charge here. You run away, and and he's he's about to lay down on the line, and he's gonna be the one getting in trouble and like trying to fix Dignan's fuck up. Yeah. And Dignan's trying to, and he's he takes this moment where he's like, no, no, this is my job. And I feel like th- there's almost a moment there where he's like, no, like you've done enough for me. Yeah, you you've sacrificed your life enough for me. Like let me take the thing on that one. And he goes, I'm not gonna get caught because I'm fucking innocent. Yeah, which is like it's not the first time you hear that. It's like that's so funny. Like why is he saying that? He's just saying another dumb thing. But I think there's a moment of like, no, I'm a very innocent character. They'll catch me. I'll grow from it. I'll become an adult. Like. Yeah, and it's the first. You know, it's finally a time when he's not letting Anthony sacrifice his life more for him. Yeah, and that, that's the uh, beautiful thing is the movie kind of subverts what like you're introduced to Luke Wilson as the main character, and you think he's going to be the one with the arc. Yeah, but the entire arc belongs to Owen Wilson. He's, yeah, he's really the one who grows by the end of this. Yeah, and and, and Luke Wilson's problem is that he's just constantly in danger of regression because of his best friend yeah and i love um that also there's there's a lot of stories with this type of setup where it's like two best friends one of them's headed down the wrong path and the other guy's trying in vain to help him yeah you know and that that could be like mean streets you know that yeah could be so many movies yeah. oh there's a great um korean film that came out last year called hideout Oh yeah, I heard about that. You one. did, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's the same way. It's so easy to make that story tragic, which mm-hmm. it can be and be done well. But th- this is a movie <laughs> where it's like it's not encouraging, you know. Particularly in a day and age where like therapy speak is taken over, and yeah. people are encouraged. <laughs> therapy to... is good, but people talking like therapists all the time, and people I think misinterpret it a lot. Yeah, they take it to this point of extreme selfishness. I s- I saw know? a great post not that long ago that's like you're allowed to disagree with somebody and and they're not gaslighting you yeah like they, they can have a different perspective on something and yes. it's not gaslighting and also you can have a friend that's has like like the whole idea of like cutting out all people i hate that people, do not i hate when people take pride benefit in that. like, you. That's just, yeah yeah well it's like friendships are not about transactions it's not yeah. about somebody only benefiting you all the time and that's why you keep them around yeah sometimes you just care about a person yeah exactly. you know and, and, and this is a movie that is about like a guy who's making a lot of bad decisions and a friend who wants to help him and is trying in vain and ultimately that guy has to help himself mm-hmm. but it's not a story about just having to cut him out selfishly because he's hurting luke wilson's life you know yeah it's it's still at the end of it they're still best friends and, yeah and they're still you know that this is a hurdle that they're working through and after he does his time owen wilson's gonna be better for it yeah you know? oh there's this this big i mean the whole moment because he does this oh, you're gonna break me out of jail you're gonna break me out of jail. yes which is it's funny because it's super apropos of everything you've seen of his character throughout the movie yeah and then they're like go now and nothing happens and he just kind of smiles like ah you guys believe me you thought i was like the same old guy yeah. like he he has this self-awareness about himself and he kind of has a smile, and they kind of they kind of laugh too because they realize like ah he was trying to be classic Dignan. Yeah. And then I think it su- summarizes that whole him at the therapy and the consequence, and it, it summarizes that whole friendship with the last line, where he smiles and he goes, "Isn't it funny that you used to be in the nut house and now I'm in jail?" Yeah. And yeah. It's a great final line. It's a great, and then yeah. and 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 I think that the real that change that moment that slow motion thing he does when Sanderson is right after that is it shows him smiling and then he turns his head back around towards the prison and and like you just see the smile fade and you kind of see like reality and maturity and like the real consequences of adulthood yeah 
kind of wash over Owen Wilson. It's it's like the ending of The Graduate. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is. Just that smile fading and going like, all right, reality's setting in. Yeah, yeah but he, he got to have this nice laugh of like, haha, wasn't it funny how immature I was? Yeah. No, but I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be in jail for two months and I'm going <laughs> to Yeah. Up. And he, oh. So many, he's got, he's one of my favorite, most quotable characters. Yeah. I just want to throw out some of my favorite right in that last scene when he's like, see, I got, yeah, I told him I, I, I didn't remember because I had CRS disease. Had <laughs> CRS disease? Yeah. It's when you can't remember shit. Yeah. You can't remember shit. CRS disease. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. He's, he's easily like. It's no question why when you watch this that he's the breakout star of the movie. And yeah. Like, it was after this, like, Michael Bay cast Owen Wilson in Armageddon because yeah. of Bottle Rocket, you know? Yeah. Uh, he did that other Liam Neeson, like, the remake of, like, The Haunting on House Hill or something like that. Oh, yeah, The, the Haunting, haunting remake. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then he was in, like, Jurassic Park, too, you know? Was like, he in that one, too? Yeah. The, well, yeah no, was, wait, sorry. That was Vince Vaughn. That was Vince Vaughn. <laughs> Yeah, no, same, thing. Right. same thing. <laughs> Not Owen Wilson. Uh, yeah, different different guys, but uh, that we associate. But with, similar with the thing. Same class. I think Swingers came out the same year as Bottle Rocket, which is a similar type of thing. Yeah, that's that's John Favreau's Bottle Rocket. Yeah, that's, basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, and um, but it is crazy how big of a star he became. I mean, it, it it's Luke Wilson got the more like likable protagonist role. Which yeah. every time I watch Bottle Rocket, I'm just like, God, I wish Luke Morris Wilson was given more. Career opportunities. Well, also, Luke Wilson's role that he gets in this movie and that he gets in most movies is not the role an actor wants. No. You know, he's, likeable, he's the straight He's likable everyman. Yeah. And then Owen Wilson is, like, the better written... Like, he's the character. Right. Luke Wilson is cursed to be the love interest in Legally Blonde. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. He's It's the straight man and, like, the character. Yes. It's kind of like... It's a little bit of, like, Abbott and... Cos- no, it's not quite that, but it's... Yeah, it's some. There's some equivalent of this, like the straight man and the one to bounce. Yeah, off I mean, Abbott on Costello is like, but Abbott's like, oh, I gotta put up with Costello's things, or right. like Oliver Hardy going, here's another fine mess you've gotten us into. Yeah, but it's it's definitely you know Luke Wilson as Anthony being like, come on, it's it's more, come on, Dignan, you gotta you gotta do this to me now, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And if you look at their careers now, it's fascinating. Like Luke Wilson, weirdly enough, now he he has like the same career that Bruce Willis has had the last couple of years where he does like direct DVD oh, like really action movies. Uh, and then, you know, Owen Wilson, he comes and goes, you know, like, uh, he's like in a big project. It might be a small thing. Yeah. Or it'll be like a rom-com with well, Jennifer Lopez. And, <laughs> and until fantastic Mr. Fox, I, I'm sad to say, I think they had a little bit of falling out, but Owen Wilson has been in almost every single, um, Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, he was in the French Dispatch, which was nice because yes. I, I had thought that he wasn't going to be in it. Yeah, he had a small. Well, he he brought in in he's he's got a small role in Grand Budapest. Mm-hmm. Is he a voice in I Love Dogs? I think he is an Isle of Dogs. He might be, be a dog. I think he is. Yeah, I don't think he's in Asteroid City. though. He's not in Asteroid City. But they definitely he kept putting him in all of his movies, and I think they eventually had a falling out, or he got smaller roles. But it definitely was like this thing of like. Yeah, yeah, like a tight knit team. Um, and obviously Jason... Same with Luke Wilson. Yeah, well, Luke Wilson... This is the funny thing. I used to think, like, oh, man, Wes Anderson dropped Luke Wilson because he was in this... You know, he was in this and he was in... Uh, Luke Wilson... Uh, uh, Rush Rushmore. Rushmore as well. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and then eventually I was like, oh, he dropped him because he wasn't 
a big enough star, but then I was like, well, he still keeps Adrian Brody along, so yeah. that can't be true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he like, just has his favorites, and, and it's beautiful, though. Yeah, I but, guess so. Yeah. Um, Robert Musgraves, haven't seen him. <laughs> no, I know. He's the I, equivalent of, like, the guy who plays Dante in Clerks. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, he's... Uh, there's some guys that have that one indie hit, then they never... Like, I think about anybody who was in, like, Stranger Than Paradise or something. Like, yeah. the leads of that movie that yeah. are, like, now you're the the chauffeur in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, um, Robert Musgraves, I, I know I've seen him in some other stuff, but the first time I watched this, for some reason, I thought he was Chris Kattan. That's funny. <laughs> which is a totally different, which is funny, because that would be the most restrained Chris Kattan. Yeah, I was going to say, I could see Chris Kattan playing Digman, though. Yeah, yeah, he played differently, for sure. He, but I could see yeah. him doing it, yeah. Yeah. Um... um no, I know. It is one of those things, though, where... Well, Owen Wilson, I feel like his career went off in a different way because he almost became more mainstream and blogger. You know, being yeah. in the wedding being in wedding crashers or the internship or whatever right. is the opposite. That It was always nice when he did. For a while, it was like, oh, yeah, Owen Wilson will go off and do this big, broad comedy and it'll be in Meet the Parents and Starsky and Hutch. And then, and then it's like, but don't for, worry. He's in the Darjeeling Limited. He hasn't forgotten yes. his artistic but side. He's got this West to fall back on. Yeah, you know? do we ever need to do something substance and critically the One for you, one for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but also, I mean, he's an interesting kind of guy because it's like in this movie, Luke Wilson's the straight man, Owen Wilson's the kind of zany one. Yeah. You know, it, in in regards to the movie, he's the zany one. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, look at him in any other mainstream comedies, and he's always the straight man. Yeah. And Sarsky and Hutch, he's the straight man to Ben Stiller. You know. And in uh, uh, Wedding oh, you Crashers, think so? I thought he was the kind of the the crazier one in Starsky and Hutch. No, Sarsky and Hutch, he's kind of the more grounded one, and Ben Stiller's like the danger seeking guy. Like no, the. I thought it was because I I thought I remembered it. Was well, he's like, more it was like, like a ben, woman. Ben, Sti- ben Stiller was like the one who's like, we got to do everything by the books, and I think when they first. When well, they French introduce him in Owen Wilson and Starsky and Hutch, he's like... He's the cool guy. He Well, he's a cop. He's robbing a bank with guys. And then yeah. he turns around and goes, I'm an undercover cop. And he's like, I didn't think they'd catch us. Like, he was just actually trying to be a dirty cop. Oh, yeah, Or something yeah. like, I don't know, but... Yeah, um... <coughs> Zoolander 2, right. maybe, I don't know. Zoolander as Not well. Not Zoolander 2, Zoolander but Zoolander also. as well, yeah. yeah. Or even in, like, Wedding Crashers, Vince Vaughn is the more Vince Vaughn's the, yeah. you know, sillier he's, character. He's just his role in Swingers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that, I think Vince Vaughn got pigeonholed by swingers a little bit. Yes. Like, yeah. You know, you probably more that. so than Owen Wilson did by Bottle Rocket at all. Yeah, and Owen Wilson, like, even though he doesn't have range in terms of the, you know, his delivery or the way he looks, he does have you're range right, in terms right, of the though. types he's, of characters he's more he plays. Chill and, he's more chill. You know that. He's wow. the mellow. Yeah. yeah. Like so doing that, being that kind of guy is like is almost like a more calming therapeutic. So, and he is like the crazy unhinged one in this. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think it's only because he's co-starring with an equally handsome guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that if you're the more handsome guy, you have to be the more chill one. Yeah. <laughs> it just tends to be how... Oh, the only exception would be maybe in The Nice Guys. That's the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling. But um, I have uh, some reviews I pulled up. Yes, movie. let's go for it. Um, Are these bad reviews of Bottle Rocket? Yes, of course. They are. It's just going to be because I I can understand why people don't. I bet you can predict. What I'm going to predict that they're like it's boring. I don't know why people were saying this. Um, yeah, I did. I actually saw. Um, I watched people do a review of every Wes Anderson. It was a guy I really like, Michael Swaim or something like that. Oh yeah, they they went through every Wes Anderson movie and he talked about Bottle Rocket, and and they said they just didn't like the characters because. He said it like showed white privilege or like these 
these like rich yuppies that like didn't get like like I I don't see joy in seeing these idiots yeah. like terrorize. You know, yeah, you know, because you think about like the real victims of like the people that worked the at robbery. the library, the people yeah. that are getting robbed, the yeah people. Are... I, my my view on anytime that comes up, I always think like, look, unfortunately, we live in a world where the people who are going to be the most successful are usually uh, more affluent people. Yeah, you know, that's just how life works. I, I wish it wasn't that way. You yeah. know, um, that being said, I'd much rather all artists write what they know than try to write what they don't know. Yeah, and imagine if Wes Anderson tried to make a movie about. The plights of living in the inner city, you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, um, uh, he, he wrote, what do you know? And also, it's like the characters. You're not supposed to. They're supposed to be charming, but you're not supposed to like think they're. They're doing the good, good the thing. right thing. Yeah. yeah, they're intentionally flawed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm gonna read through some of these reviews. I think they're. I think it, throughout, across these reviews, there are two types of people that. Okay. I mean, and we'll see what they are. But this first one is a half a star out of five. Okay. Corny. Pure corny. Wes Anderson films are always two steps from the plexiglass wall of cornball that he only got right after this film. Shit was ass and you know it, you wet cornball. Um, <laughs> this next one's also half a star. So this is what you get when a Wes Anderson movie doesn't have the carefully curated aesthetic to hide behind. I can't even call it offensively bad because it was so much of nothing, devoid of substance, of any real point to it, and anything or anyone to evoke literally any feeling other than relief when it finally ends. I had seen this once before, a long, long time ago, but I have no memory of the movie. I'd given it two and a half stars, apparently. I have no idea why. I'd call that generous. But clearly, I didn't like it even then. Um... This must be like a young person if they've done two ratings on Letterbox and the first one they don't even remember doing. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, half a star. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels on Xanax. What? <laughs> not, That's not right. even a good it's criticism not. at all. That's not even true. What, what, Rocket, what do they have in common besides being low budget like film? about like, robbery? Yeah, I guess. I guess. That's it. Yeah. But also like, Bottle Rocket's not a movie about robbery. No. That's, that's the... That's the Catalyst. It could be about any. I think the two best movies to compare this to are Midnight Cowboy and Dog Day. Yes. Yeah, I 100% uh, agree. Bottle Rocket will have you begging for mercy and questioning where the $5 million budget went and who gave him the money to do a second film. The answer is to James Caan, probably. Yeah. Uh, The crazy thing. I don't think it was $5 million, by the way. I think it was $500,000. Yeah, that sounds better. Five million sounds insane. No, that's this is not a five, especially for the especially 90s. in 1996. Yeah. yeah, there would not have been five million. Uh, the crazy thing is that I love Wes Anderson, but I have very obvious opposing views on this film. Um, half a star. This feels like 90 plus minutes of nothing. The characters are fun. Okay, well, I feel like that makes it worth more than half a star. Uh, yeah. Like all Wes Anderson's films, but it almost feels like none of the actors really know why they're doing what their characters are doing. Huh. Almost as if the, the characters are intentionally not making good decisions. Yeah. Or, you know, and you're not supposed to entirely understand why. I mean, I, so is, is uh, you were saying there's two types of people. It seems like one type of person are people that just don't like Wes Anderson in general. Yes. Yeah. And then the people who like Wes Anderson but don't like this, you know. But don't like it because it's his early work. Right. And, and that's just something I simply am like, I don't know, I think you should just open your mind more. Like... Nobody comes out fully formed from the beginning. No. Very rarely do they. No. And 
That doesn't, I would venture to say, that doesn't even mean that Wes Anderson became a better filmmaker and all his movies are better than this one. Right. I think part of what makes this movie so valuable and even more valuable. He evolved as an artist, but you have to have exactly like this. But that's part of what makes it even more valuable in the grand scheme of his career is the fact that he wouldn't make this movie today. And I think that no. makes it mean well, even it more. Would, well, in the, in the same way that like, you were like, he can only make... This, I mean, it's it's a rough and tumble movie about guys trying to like have aspirations. Yes. But now Wes Anderson's like one of the most critically acclaimed directors in Hollywood, and so Asteroid City is about trying to be a storyteller, but trying to find the real meaning of anything. Right. Like exactly. It's, it's it's like all of his characters are much more highly respected people who in like like the French Dispatch is about a highly respected newspaper, or right. A highly respected hotel, or like. Yes. It's it's like he he has to write from that point of view. He can't right. write from He's not fooling himself. No, you know? exactly. Um he, he he's not the guy still trying to pretend to be the everyman. Uh, yeah. And, and this movie is so it's so everyman not just in terms of the characters, but I, I think that even though I was saying earlier, like, yeah, there's ways he filmed the movie that I think he would have filmed it differently today, I think that the aesthetic, quote unquote, the style of the mm-hmm. movie perfectly matches what it's setting out to mm-hmm. do. And it perfectly matches the feeling of those characters. The more you know, when he does use handheld and stuff like that, it yeah. matches the frenzy of those moments. It works. Yeah. And I think that too many people, when I see reviews like this, I think like, oh, you're just watching movies wrong. Because rather than saying, oh, there's a reason why these choices were made, it's I don't like those choices. Yeah. And that's it. Which, you know? do you know, and and those people can have their negative reviews, but, of course. but yeah. in my corner of people who love the movies, <laughs> of somebody who put it in like their top films of the 90s and even like wrote something for Criterion about like how great the movie was, Martin Scorsese. Oh, yeah. This is one of his favorite movies of the 90s. Like he loves Bottle Rocket. And so I that's feel, incredible. Yeah. Uh, Which makes sense too, because it, it, there's definitely some. I made the comparison with Mean Streets. Mean Streets earlier. and a yeah. little bit of Taxi Driver, buying the guns and stuff. And yes. Like, but yeah, I would say Mean Streets and Taxi Driver, there's a little bit of. I, I think that sometimes when people try to replicate the films that inspire them, they tend to do it in the wrong way. Joker. Where they, yes. <laughs> right? So, and, I, and I'm somebody who loves Joker. But. Right. Good for you. Um, <laughs> I'm happy you like it. Uh, but I want to like compare Joker to a movie that I think did Taxi Driver better mm. is Observe and Report. With oh, okay. Seth I haven't Rogen. seen that one. But. And that is a, it's a Seth Rogen comedy. Uh, totally different from Taxi Driver, mm. totally different from what Joker did, where Joker is like, or takes taking Taxi Driver, we're still, we're keeping it dark, this one's really dark, yeah. and obviously it's a, you know, a DC Comics adaptation, but then like, Observant Report is like, well we're still taking those same core ideas that that yes. movie's working with, of like, the delusional guy that wants to be something bigger, and goes in the wrong direction, and, right. I, and I'm not gonna do a haphazard armchair analysis of Taxi Driver right, right now, but... Uh, Observe and Report takes that and it makes a totally different movie around it, but it's essentially yes. getting at the same core ideas. Yes. I think that's the best type of emulation. It's it's you know? copying the themes and the motifs as opposed to copying the stylistic choices and yes. the artistic choices without trying to... Yeah. You're 100% correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love there's a... a, a the director's roundtable um, that the Hollywood Reporter oh, yeah. did. And it's got uh, Todd Phillips and Martin Scorsese are both there. And Todd Phillips is just like, I don't know if anybody noticed, but my movie's kind of a throwback to like films like yours. You yeah. Know? And, and it's just, Everyone noticed. It's the biggest no shit dude moment, you know? Yeah. Like, there was a great... Uh... It was like um, there was there was some joke where it was like you know, the difference between the word homage and like copying, and it's like I don't know whichever one doesn't get us sued. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah. 
Um, is there anything else you want to say about Bottle Rocket before we wrap oh, up? Gosh, I don't know. I just want to quote all my favorite lines. Oh, there's uh, like the Andrew Lloyd Webber has. I don't, I don't know. What are some of my favorites? Not only did I not want to answer that question, but I didn't want to answer another water sports related question or see any of these people again for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a great one. Bob's gone. He stole his car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's. I laughed out loud. At that's, that a, too. that's a. That's a. He stole his car. He stole his really car. Funny. Um, you guys are on lunch right now. Not always. Yes, always. Um, I love the moment. I don't remember the lines exactly, but when James Cotton, uh, is, uh, shitting on Future Boy. Oh yeah, uh, Future, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he kind of gives like a little monologue and takes him down a peg. Yeah. It's a great moment. Um, and he's, he's, we didn't talk about it much, but James Cotton is great yeah. in the scenes. Oh, you don't mind me saying, but your brother's a cocksucker. I don't mind. You don't mind that at all? Yeah, it doesn't offend you? Doesn't and it's offend great because everybody laughs at Future Man. Right? Yeah, they all start laughing and then he just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the, there's, oh, the fucking, this, the moment with Rocky, the tran- who's translating for them. Yeah. And he kind of walks away and she realizes as he's leaving, like, maybe I do love this guy. And yeah. she's like, Tell Anthony I love him. She says in Spanish, and, and he runs down, and Anthony is not there, but Dignan's there. Yeah. And so the message is, tell, tell Anthony, Anthony I, I love, love him, him from her. <laughs> and Dignan's like, sees the tran- all right, man. <laughs> all right, man. And then, and, and then like later, like just months later in the film or whatever, yeah. and he's talking, he's like, what did you think of it as? I liked her. I didn't get to know her as well as you. That's why I even hesitate. But that kid Rocky was weird. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> he, well, he said he loved, loved you. And he's, he, said, he said he loved me. You, he said he loved you, not me. Yeah, he's like he said he loved you. He's like, well, was he translating? No, he was speaking English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how I knew because he was speaking. It's English. such a great comical misunderstanding because we're just waiting for the point where they're gonna both understand. Yeah, you know, and it's such a funny journey to get to that. Yeah, that that, that line specifically though was he, was he translating? Yeah, no, that's how I knew because he was speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, you're right. Um. Yeah, no, this is a wonderful movie, and I'm glad you gave me a reason to watch it again. Um, yeah. Because it, it is a movie that I just... it's. You what know, were your thoughts of it the first time you watched it versus now? Uh, let me think. The first time I watched it... Literally, the, I've only watched it twice now. Right. I watched it today. The, the last time I watched it was... I was a freshman in college, so I was 18. So we'd probably say it, we saw it same age. Yeah, probably, yeah. So I was 18. It was about six years ago. Mm-hmm. And How many Wes Anderson movies had you seen before it? Um, I'd seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'd seen Rushmore. Um, I had seen Royal Tenenbaums and Grand Budapest. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Life Aquatic. So I'd seen a good chunk Spr- of them. Yeah, Darjeeling? I had not seen Darjeeling. Right. I held off on that one for a long time. That's fair. Because I had always heard it was the bad one. It's, yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. Well, that's you know. the thing. There, there's no such thing as a bad Wes Anderson movie. There's right. just the weakest Wes Anderson movie. There's a bad Wes Anderson movie, but none of his movies are bad movies. Yes. You know, that's yes, what exactly. I Yeah. Uh, but, um, I, yeah, so I already seen quite a few of them, and it was that sort of like, I'm right, I'm familiar with the man he became. Like, this is where he started. Yeah. And I had that lens going in, so I think coming out of it, I was like, oh, that's a good movie. Which is pretty um, much how everyone has to, I don't think anybody picks up Bottle Rocket and sees it. I think the only reason people watch Bottle Rocket nowadays is because they want to see the first Wes Anderson movie. Right. I don't think yeah. it's famous. I don't think anyone would ever hear about Royal Tenenbaums or Grand Budapest Hotel and be like, Oh, the guy who made Bottle Rocket? Right. <laughs> the same way, way like people might watch Paths of Glory, or or which is yeah. a great film, or Mean Streets, which is a great film. Yeah. What Mean movies that are just naturally, you know, engulfed by the filmography that came after them? Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely think I liked it 
I don't think I fell in love with it as much as the time as I did today when I rewatched it because particularly now I have a greater affinity for like the reason like Ryan Johnson's Brick is one of my favorite movies. Oh, really? You know that that feeling of like just that scrappy young filmmaker writing a movie as if it might be his only one, yeah. and putting all of the themes and in especially because I've into worked it. on a few film projects. Like, I, oh, I, I'm and sure. I, I've, I would say most of the film work I've done has been student films. Sure, yeah. So you've been in a lot of bottle rockets. <laughs> I've been in a lot of bottle, but enough. But you know, there's only one Wes Anderson. There's not many Wes Andersons. But yeah. to see like. To see, oh, I know the hurdles he's having to jump through. Like, I right. know why they had to film it that way. Yeah, you have a greater appreciation for it today, too. Yeah. Of, of, like, what it would be to get that shot, knowing that that's kind of, like, the budget you're dealing with. Yes. And so still seeing all the artistic choices and still seeing, like, a fully formed, completed story. Because mm-hmm. you can... It works on its own. You yeah. don't just have to watch it as a piece of you Wes can, Anderson history. You, you can get a movie a bigger budget, and they can you can get a bigger name in it. You can get... Um, you can get a bigger, hey, we don't have to worry about, we have to get this on this day. Like we are shutting, we have the money to shut things down around it so that we can get this shot to work. Yeah. We can get cleaner editing. We can get cleaner software, but you, a bigger budget will never buy you like more charm. It'll never buy you a cleaner story about like the relationship between friends. Mm -hmm. Like that's just something you have to make. Yes. And so I think there's like a seed of that was always there with Wes Anderson. He always had kind of an idea yeah. about those those themes. I yeah, I, I totally agree. And I also think that sometimes those limitations lend themselves well to what you're making. Sometimes that makes it a better product mm-hmm. because it fits what you're the movie that you're trying to make. Exactly. And the same way that Jaws works better because the shark wasn't working and they couldn't show yeah. it. You know? Yeah. I think that can be seen in Bottle Rocket. Um so uh I love the movie. Uh, I think if people haven't seen it, they should definitely see it, um, especially if they're Wes Anderson fans. But I don't like it. This is it's also so much more of a normal movie that maybe if you're not I was going to say fan, if you yeah if, like if you like if you find Wes Anderson kind of charming, but you're like put off by all the stylistic choices. Yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Honestly, if you're a Coen Brothers fan. Yeah, well, you made the Raising Arizona comparison. There's a bit of that. Doke, Doke made the Raising Arizona, but I agree yeah. with it. And I and even other ones like Big Lebowski, maybe. In that Big Lebowski, tone. even like Fargo to a certain yes. extent. You yes, know? came out the same year as Fargo. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we forgot to mention the Coen brothers as part of that 90s indie boom, mm-hmm. but they, they were definitely a huge product. Blood, Blood, the, Blood Simple would be their bottle rocket. Blood Simple is their bottle rocket. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> um, so... Uh, we're getting into plugs. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got a play coming up in, what, two or three weeks? Uh, two and a half, I think. It's okay. September 14th through the 24th at Riverwalk Theater. Um, it's a pretty small cast, just five people, but uh, it's definitely a good role for me. I, I get to come in guns blazing, and I have, like, uh, I, I rant for, like, almost a solid ten minutes at one nice. point in the show. Like, it's very, like, I, I feel like I'm Peter Finch in Network almost at one oh, point. Oh, cool, yeah. But, um... But yeah, I don't know. It's it's very nice acting heavy show, so I love being a part of it. It's a great role for me. So if you want to, if you, there are shows that it's not a Luke Wilson role, is what no, you're no. <laughs> I was gonna say there there are shows that I have I have done where it's like, oh, I'm in this. Yeah. But like, I don't know if you'll get a sense of what me as an actor is. I think this is a good show for getting a sense of me as an actor. Good. Um. So I yeah, it's a. Uh, Seven o'clock on the Thursdays, eight o'clock on the Fridays and Saturdays, and two o'clock on the Sundays. Yeah, those two weekends. Um, it's called Admissions. It's about a affluent 
uh, prep school family in nice. like New Hampshire. Um, and it's kind of examining white privilege uh, when it comes to college admissions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. I can't wait to see it. Um, and, uh, and if you're listening at home, you can see this and Rocky Horror. You don't have to pick one. No. They're like a month apart. <laughs> they're a month apart. You'll have time. You don't, you don't even have to see two community theater plays in the same month. No. no <laughs> if exactly. you're rationing yourself. Yeah. So, um, I appreciate it, Heath. Thanks for coming back, as always. Um, Thank you. This is, uh, you're one of the easiest people to talk about movies with, I think. Cause, yeah. Because cause you know so much, and I'm not, uh, well, it would sound pretentious to say I'm con- not constantly explaining myself, but also it's fun when you say something that nobody else would understand, and then I Well, that's, that's, why, that's why I worry <laughs> that it's either, it's, it's better for your listeners who are like, yeah, I love movies, I want to hear people talk about movies. Yeah. But then, but then it's like, I'm just listening to a bunch of people say names that I've <laughs> just never... Just speaking a different language. <laughs> I love how the, Why did they just say David Burns' true stories as if this is something anyone's ever heard? Yeah. Like, they, they were just on those same wavelength, but who, yeah. who knows what the We best. assume you at home know that David Byrne directed a movie in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and it was called True Stories. But that's an episode for another time. It so, is. Thank you. Well,